Dory and I were part of a, a church before this one in St. Louis whose families uh, were, were primarily uh, ethnically Korean. So uh, I think about half, maybe a little bit more than half of the families, uh, third, fourth generation, uh, Korean-American, uh, Filipino-American, different, uh, different uh, nations represented um, from, from that region of the country. And so we learned a lot. And one of the fun things that we learned was this fun little custom that they had for their little children. So what they would do is uh, at some point between birth and, and toddlerish, I think, they would get their friends together, their family together, and they would lay before the boy or the girl uh, a stethoscope, a Bible, and maybe like a constitution or a code book, representing the three okay uh, you know, professions that they could enter. And so they would play this game where they would have the, the child then scurry toward one of these. And if, and if they picked up the Bible, well, yes, they'll be a pastor. Or they picked up the stethoscope, no, yes, they'll be a doctor and an attorney uh, for, for the book, the law book. And it was sort of this, you're destined to be one of these okayed uh, professions. It is cute and it's fun, right? I mean, that's kind of carried on into every tradition and culture. You know, we... I think my senior students uh, are probably tired of me asking, where are you going to school? Uh, what are you going to study? And, uh, you know, you, you sort of like, oh, again, yet, yet again, someone wants to know these things. These are identity questions, right? You can probably think of a time when someone asked you as a child or even at a midlife crisis was like, what are you going to do? Who are you going to become? And those identity questions can, can somewhat haunt us, right? Because it's out in the future. We can't, we, can't, we can't know it with certainty. We sort of hope for it. Well, I like to think, well, I've speculated that Mary and Joseph were asking similar questions of their little boy. Can you imagine? They're laying down. They don't have beds. Jesus is perhaps at their feet. And Mary or Joseph looks over to the other if it were me, it would be me saying these things to Dory. Questions of doubt. Like, I mean, how do, we, how do we know? Is he that special? He's been crying the whole night. You just fed him and he's still angry. Isn't that crazy to think that our Lord was a month old at one point? Well, the passage we're going to read this morning, I think, gives us an answer to that question. Perhaps they had questions of doubt. They were human. We can, we can conceive that they did. Who is this child? What's really special here is one of them hypothetically said to the other, well, we're going to do what God tells us to do, and we're going to see what God does. We're going to do what he tells us, and we're going to see what he does. So day 40 comes. Day 40 was a time when the baby was born that they went to the temple. The mother would then offer a sacrifice to make her clean again after the childbirth. This is what they did. And this is where we are in the story this morning. So I invite you to attend to God's Word either on the screen or with your Bibles as we look at Luke chapter 2, verses 25 to 35. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem 
whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came into the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God and he said this, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Verse 33. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them. And he said this to Mary, his mother. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Lord, break our hearts over the truth of your word and then build them back up with that same truth. It is the power of salvation and we are hoping that you would show up in your word and by your spirit now. We ask this in your powerful name. Amen. I was looking for my belt a few days ago and it's a pretty common thing that happens in our house. I'll run to Dory. She's probably doing something productive with Eleanor and I'm just in a frantic, I need my belt. And she's like, just look where you where it was last, or look where you always keep it. So you know what happens. I went to look uh, in the closet, and, and sure enough, it was right there. And then that, that famous little adage that we all know, if it were a snake, it would have bitten you. It was right there in front of me. Has anyone had this moment this week or maybe this month? If it, were right, it was right there in front of you, and yet you missed it. You missed it. When I read this passage, I, what, as I was thinking about it this week, I was like, how did Simeon get it? How did he see this baby as Jesus? And we know from the passage it says the Holy Spirit was on him. Okay, so there's answer one. Well, then what do we get from this? What is in it for us? And I think it's so special. It's only recorded in this passage, this, this account, Luke wants us to see what Simeon was given a vision for, with divine help, of course. You see, if, if you've had, if it was a snake, it had bitten you moment, you realize quickly that we can miss things. They can be in plain sight, and they just blow right past us, both their, their very presence and their meaning. But Simeon didn't. He saw something with, with the Spirit's guidance that that we should long to see ourselves, which is the Messiah. So Luke, is, is, he just wants us to see what, what Simeon saw. He wants to give us the perspective Simeon was given, to see things as they are, to discern what is true. Right? That's, that's, where, we, that's where it can get gray for us. And Simeon, with great clarity, has seen the very truth with truth. What is before him? He's been given a perspective, and Luke wants us to see it. Who is this baby? 
Hopefully you, you know. You read the passage as well with me. Jesus is God's salvation. It's as simple as that and profound as that. Jesus is God's salvation. And Simeon has been given the privilege of truly witnessing this. And through Luke's account, we are now afforded the opportunity to see what he was able to see. First is this. Simeon gives to us the perspective that Jesus as God's salvation is a particular salvation. It's a particular perspective. What do I mean by that? Maybe you saw this little phrase in there called the consolation of Israel. Have you heard of that before? Chances are you have. Well, if we look back into Isaiah, I think it's 52, um, that it says this, Break forth with singing. We had this in the, in the call to worship. You waste places of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. To console is to comfort. And then as, as prophecy and psalms often do, they give us couplets. And we use each of them to get, get the truth, get the, get the grain that's holding them together. So the Lord comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The consolation of Israel, the particular salvation that God has done in Christ has been Israel's Messiah. We see in Simeon's song, he says, For the glory of your people, Israel. What does that mean? Jesus was to be for his people, the very glory of their name. Think about it. Maybe, you know, you have a legacy family, you know, and, and their name is, has such a great reputation, maybe in this community. Aren't you proud of that name? This is, this is what's being... Jesus was to be that one with whom his people were, were, were stoked that his name was on the back of their jersey. But we know that didn't fully happen. You see, Jesus, as the particular salvation of God, came to fulfill the law. He didn't come to wipe it away. He came to fulfill it. We see that, that he didn't come to abolish it, but to complete them, to fulfill them by purchasing the redemption they offered and living the life they commanded. Folks, we miss this all the time. We stay away from, from some of the Ten Commandments. We stay away from some of the gory stories of the Old Testament. When in fact, Jesus by his very life, by his parents' life on his behalf, shows us that he didn't come to abolish the law. He came to complete it. He came to complete it. He is Israel's seed. He is their consolation. I'm sure you caught this, but we, we see that, you know, it's, it's in the temple. Uh, he's at Jerusalem. This is in the text. Um, what else does it say? It says that he was waiting these are all very particular, uh, very detailed points about this story. And I think it teaches us something very powerful. That God, though, he's, though uh, we often think of um, him having, having given us a trailer, like a movie trailer, where, where we see like glimpses, right, of, of a bigger picture. 
But what we have here is such detail on a specific day, doing a very particular thing. While he reigns over human history, he is a focused God and a very particular person, that is Jesus, for his people, Israel. What, is that, what does that mean for you and me? That Jesus came to be Israel's Messiah. Our text says Christ. That's synonymous with Messiah. Messiah is the transliteration of Mashiach. And then the Greek translation is the Christ. See, that's, that's, that's not a Gentile word. That's a, that's a Hebrew word. He's the anointed one for those people. And he came for that very particular time in that place. I think one of the things this gives to us in our day, right here in this moment, is like I was mentioning about the trailer. Like Even though he, he's big and he's, and he's transcendent, and we must um, you know, revere him in that way, he is deeply, deeply personal. He is unstoppable in his manner to be involved in the very details of our lives. I don't know if you've had a flat tire this week. You got a heavy medical bill this week. You looked at pornography yesterday. You were given a promotion right at the end. I don't know. What is the detail of your life that you bring to this room right now? Either, either shameful or joyful. You see, God's salvation is very particular. His relating to us is very personal. And while he, while he remains utterly different, he desires to be utterly close, to know you, to see you, and to bring you into life and love through his Son. So Jesus is not only God's particular salvation. This isn't, Simeon doesn't just leave it with a particular perspective that he's been given. But we also see that Jesus is God's broad salvation. Simeon shows forth, he, he, he praises in this psalm, and this uh, you know, prophetic oracle really, uh, a very broad perspective of the identity of Jesus. We see in it, for example, in verse 31, it says, that you have prepared in the presence of who? All peoples. A light for revelation to who? Gentiles. In that time, this word just refers to everyone but the nation of Israel, but the Israelites. He's, he's pulling together several verses, and Isaiah 52 is one of them. And we see this, all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. And Isaiah 49.6 says this, and this is uh, about Jesus as the, as the suffering servant. So it's this murky yet beautiful picture of Jesus coming as a servant. And it says, it is too light a thing that you, that is the Messiah, should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob. To restore Israel. It's too light a thing. What is that? It means he has so much more in mind. It goes on to say, I will give you as a light to the nations that my salvation shall reach the ends of the earth. Though the intention, though the, though the, though the very channel of salvation was narrow, you know, something like a river, it was always intended to reach the sea. See, I've said this a few times, you're probably tired of me saying it, but Abraham has been called and chosen and blessed for what? 
So his family can grow, yes, but for what? So that he can be a blessing to those around him. The particular is not the end, it's the means. And there we see that Simeon reminds us that the very broad scope of, of redemption is to reach all the nations, is to, is to reach you and me as it has. You see, I think sometimes we can short-sight God's plan with redemption, right? We, we, we miss the fact of how great creation is, right? There's only two chapters in the book dedicated to it. But we miss that out of nothing became something. Out of, out of all of this, uh, you know, darkness became life. And sin has cursed every inch of it. And we miss the fact that redemption's purpose is to restore all things. All things. I love this line, enjoy to the world. And it's only in hymns. If you hear it on the radio, they always miss it. It's the best, the best, the best verse of the, of the whole hymn. It says, no more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. What's that sound like? creation account. He comes to make his blessings flow far as the curse is found. Don't miss this. Jesus' salvation, him as God's salvation, though it starts small, its reach is to be global. It's to be creation-wide, including the critters, including all the things that he made. This is the role and the goal of salvation. Abraham Kuyper was a prime minister in the Netherlands at the turn of the 20th century. So he's prime minister and a theologian. He started the Reformed Church there. And he's quoted as saying, and I'm going to paraphrase it, that there's not a square inch of earth that the sovereign Lord does not cry, mine. It was started small, but its, its goal was broad. And as, and as vast as his creation is, so too is his redemption. His salvation in Jesus is broad. And this is where I think about you and I. You know, it's, it's tempting, especially in, in the culture that we live where, um, you know, it's not necessarily hostile to our faith, what it is that we believe the convictions that we carry. It's, sometimes it can be strange to folks, but here where we are situated, where God has, has placed us, it's not, it's not weird to be a Christian, right? And I think that what, what can begin to creep into our hearts and minds is that this whole salvation business is just a you and, and God kind of thing. We see that that's, that's, what, that's what ended up happening with Israel. They thought it was just a special privilege that they enjoyed. And they missed the whole point of it. Relationship with God for the sake of relationship with others. That's why we're here. That's, that's, that's the work that we're in. Everywhere we go, we are to be the very salt and light of Jesus. We are to reflect his good and noble and gracious and kind and patient character. This is the call of our salvation. Not to be kept within but to be shown forth in word and deed. Like I mentioned, you are blessed to be a blessing. So Simeon has, has given to us a, a very particular picture of God's salvation in Jesus. 
That he he has redeemed his people Israel. And he's also given us a broad, universal, you might say, picture of his redemption. Which includes every square inch of earth. And lastly, he presents to us this perspective that he wants us to see. And that's that God's salvation in Jesus is painful. The painful perspective. Particular, broad, painful perspective. Look back at 33 to 35. And his father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them. And he said, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. What, what is that? Fall and rising of many. Well, you remember later on when, when Jesus is getting a little bit older and is, and, uh, he, it's actually right after this passage is one area and it's also recorded in the other Gospels where he, he's just going out and starts to teach to people. You know, he's not quite a man, but he's already, you know, he, he, he looks like he's a little awkwardly on fire. You know, you know, there's kind of like, it's like, you know, calm down a little bit. You know, and they, and they sort of, Jesus, come back home, come back home. And you remember what he says? He says, who are my brothers and sisters? He says that to his mom and his brothers. And he says it's those that that do the Father's will. You see, and then when when we look at 1 Peter and we see that he quotes this passage that that Jesus is the cornerstone and that that somehow this, this image of this cornerstone is just this polarizing fixture. To fall or to rise. We're either going to stand on the message of Jesus, the person and message, and find life and hope, or we're going to stumble over it and, and be estranged and, and left out. That's who he is. We see it continues, and as he says, uh, rising of many, as for a sign to the pose, that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. You know in the Proverbs where it says, um, a man's heart plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps? Well, that, that refrain kind of gets recapitulated throughout. And finally, it comes to this in Psalm 16 where it says that the Lord weighs the spirit. He can see our motives. You see, Jesus is the line in the sand. And it's a painful one, Right? You're either with me or you're without me, family. You remember he tells the one, he tells the one to, to leave your father to be buried by someone else. It feels so shocking that he would demand such a thing. Does, it, is he, does he not care about our family? Absolutely not. The call, however, is to supreme loyalty. And as we all know, there's a little king in our hearts that we like to follow that one. And he wants to knock that one over. He wants to checkmate that one and find his throne right there. Jesus shows where hearts really are before God. That's what it means. And then we get to this painful, painful part right here. And the ESV kind of puts it in parentheses, but I think NIV actually pulls it out and makes it harder. But I'll end it with here. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also, talking to Mary. I think there's a couple of of layers to this, right?
the grief is bottomless for those that have lost children. You're reminded of it every single holiday. Some of you are experiencing that right now. To outlive your children is, there's only a handful of things that, that, that rank up there in terms of pain. Spouses close to it. Just as a human mother, we don't have to go far in our hearts and in our own memories. That this prophecy that Simeon is offering is, this is going to crush you, Mary. And we know this, that she not only witnessed Jesus die, but he was murdered. It wasn't an accident. It just keeps getting worse and worse. Think about his life. He's going to be gossiped over. And it's all going to be lies. Have your children ever been lied about in the community? Doesn't that, doesn't that sting? Doesn't that make you want to punch someone? Maybe you have. I don't know. She's going to hear that. He's going to be shamed. People are going to leave him. They're going to think he's crazy. She's going to be crushed. Her spirit is just going to be destroyed. And I think there's another meaning. Not only is, is just the, the very fact that she's a mother going to be the most devastating experience of her life. But there's also this weird sort of exchange that happens. And I, and I mentioned it a bit ago where Jesus sort of oscillates between son and God with her. Think about the, uh, the wedding. You remember when Jesus goes up to, or uh, Mary goes up to Jesus and says, hey, we're out of wine, will you make some? And then he sort of gives this shocking response like, this isn't my time. And then she responds, do with whatever he says. We see on the cross that though he's rebuked her a couple times, he, he commands that she be taken care of as as his mother. Mary is going to have to struggle with this wonderful grace that she's been giving of having the Son of God and the great pain of it as well. And she will have to find in him a hope that's so bizarre that he could actually save her. It's a, it's a strange picture. This is the painful perspective. Several of you are, are physicians in this room. How do you make someone well? You cut them. You open things up. You, you create pain to hopefully bring peace. We get that. The way of, of salvation requires those same cuts. Those same blows. How does a therapist help the depressed or the traumatized? Well, over time and with sensitivity, try to help them confront those things. It seems so counterintuitive. And yet the way to healing and life is to be wounded. We get this. We, we, we feel this. We didn't read this part of the passage, but when Jesus came, his poor parents, and we know they're poor because of what she offered, she offered these two turtle doves. 
And what, what was that all about? Well, well, way back in Leviticus 12, there were provisions that after childbirth, as I mentioned at the very beginning of, of the message, that the mother was to go to the temple to present a sin offering. Not because she was evil or anything like that, but you remember how the laws were, they were, they were as much visible as they were internal, okay? And so she was presenting this offering to be ceremonially clean. She could enter life and be normal. Well, nowhere in that provision, you go back and read it in Leviticus 12, does it say that you have to bring your child? She was just to go and, and present this offering. And yet, she and Joseph bring Jesus. What's also in Leviticus 12 is that the mother would bring a lamb. You know, the filet mignon. She could only afford the chuck. And there was a provision for it. But she didn't know, or maybe she did, that as she brought these pigeons, she also brought the lamb. And Simeon grabs the lamb and says, God, I have seen your salvation, both to your people Israel and to the world. And it's going to crush us all to watch it, to experience that. But more than that, it is going to kill you. Christmas is only the beginning. And it's a sweet beginning. We, we get to see, we get to savor. Just this, this sort of innocence that we all have for, for young children and the, and the thought that Jesus grew up and, and, and he lived like, like so many of us are, know about, right? But it was only the beginning. And he entered in, and he became that very lamb that was required to bring cleansing to all the world. And he gave it up. He gave himself up. Jesus is God's salvation. It's a beautiful thing. And so as we, as we go out into the new year, I think about how, how can we gain perspective? What, what does that look like? You know, how, you know we, we've talked about what the Holy Spirit has given to Simeon. But what are just some like simple ways to do it? And I think one thing that we can learn. Simeon, uh, you know, was always at the temple. He had been, you know, hearing the scriptures. And he likely had memorized the Pentateuch. And he knew the Bible. And therefore, when, he, when Jesus arrived on the scene with the Holy Spirit, he, he knew he had been looking back and reading about these prophecies and knew these things. And I think there's, a, there's an opportunity for us. The perspective of, of, of having reflection. So I invite you just in the next couple of days, and I've seen several of you do it on social media, but um, reflection is cathartic. It, it gives you the opportunity to, to see things. We're always so forward-minded, and that's a good thing. But we're also people who remember. We're also people who look back. That, that, that's where our hope is, folks. So knowing that God is a God of very intimate detail, think about your life this past year. What have been the joys and sorrows of it? And can you capture glimpses of God's faithfulness in your life in it? I pray that you can. And resist the temptation that, that, we're, the, that we're the only few, but we've been given life so that we might offer it to other people.
Jesus gave his whole life for ours. That's the invitation for us this Christmas. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you yet again that your salvation has been revealed. That we, though we were far off, have been brought near by your great grace and hope. Help us to be ambassadors and stewards of that. In Jesus' name, amen.